I still feel like calling yourself a Christian, you have to treat others and treat the world like this gift, like Jesus would want you to treat it. You know, it doesn't give you an excuse to trash places and pollute rivers and pollute people's foods just because it'll hasten the second coming. Like you're going to have to, we're all going to stand before God and Jesus after we're dead. And we're going to have to answer for things we did, or like, we're going to have to kind of go through a life review some of the moments will be great and joyous and some might be painful. And if we don't care about the system or care about others, I think there's going to be some pain in that life review. But on the flip side too, a lot of environmentalists and a lot of environmental groups I have been in contact with aren't necessarily faith-based or it's not like really a faith thing. It's just care for humanity for them. And it's Christ likeness, you know I mean? Caring about others, caring about the future of humanity without believing in Christ, which is always, it's awesome. You know I mean? It's, awesome that people care about others without reading or really being in the word of God. But at the same time, I'd love for the environmental movement to have more Jesus in it, have more God and more care for creation in it. Welcome to the award-winning Leadership in the Environment podcast. We guide you to living better by your values. We bring you relevant views on important topics without doom and gloom. We focus on awareness and action. It's about bringing fun, community, and connection to your everyday life. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and turning on notifications. Let's do this. Welcome to my third episode with Brent Suter. If you haven't listened to our first two episodes, I recommend listening to them. I'll include them in the links. I'll also include a link to an article about Brent's faith that I read before the first two episodes but held back on covering. I haven't approached the environment from religion, and he and I spoke about plenty of other interesting things, so we didn't get to it in that conversation. But lately, listeners have probably heard how much William Wilberforce, John Newton, Tom Clarkson, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and their peers have become role models for me. I wrote Brent to see if he knew more about them and could share. He wrote back that he was happy to. I'm not used to talking about religion very much, but he was happy to talk. When we first started talking, I said, how about recording? He was like, yes, let's record. I was very pleasantly surprised. I reread the piece that I linked to about his Christianity and was pleasantly surprised to see words that he connects with his work to what I think of when I act on the environment. Joy, light, love, faith, kindness, service, mission. And these seem to me the opposite of what everyone else seems to connect with the environment. For them, it's things like it's a chore, it's an obligation, it's a burden, it's a sacrifice, it's something I have to do, not something I want to do. I've started using a tagline, I don't have to steward, I get to. Caring about others and changing my behavior to avoid hurting them, it doesn't hold me back from flying. It connects me with humanity. You can look at it any way that you want. You can say, oh, poor me, I don't get to fly whenever I want, wherever I want. That's not the way it feels inside. It feels like I'm connecting more with the people that I would otherwise hurt. If you asked me any time before, if I expected my work would overlap this much with someone who bases his work in Jesus relative to nearly any scientist or environmentalist, nearly all of whom tell me they don't want to do more, like they're already doing as much as they can already, I would never have believed that that would happen. As much as science determines the problem, the solution will not come from science, but from creating meaning, value, importance, and purpose I believe you'll see that in this conversation with Brent, and I hope in many more conversations with him to come. We were just chatting, but I'll say welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Swat. I'm here with Brent Suter. And how are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm very good. And the the reason I contacted you this time, well, for one thing, I really enjoyed our conversations before. And I'm kind of curious if you got to plant that tree. I got to plant a tree over the summer with my stepfather, and it's a really great experience. I was like, I know someone else who might be doing this. Yeah. Tree. We planted a ton of plants in our garden uh-huh. and we we're going to plant a tree. So one of our trees that was kind of like a weed tree is dying. So we're going to plant it 
there, but we just paid for a ton of trees to be planted. Actually, uh-huh. two big payments for a ton of trees to be planted. So haven't directly planted that tree yet. Tree, but a lot of plants, a lot of gardening, and then uh, one to come here in the backyard. Well, I probably would not have planted mine if not for our conversation. So that you, you get credit for that There's one, one. <laughs> too. <laughs> nice. It's a fruit tree, so I will get to eat the, oh. the June berries that come out of it. Okay, cool. And I'll tell you what led to me contacting you is that before our conversations, before I, I, you know, I look up all my guests and learn what there was about them. And I don't think I really talked to you about your faith and that being a big part of everything you do. Yeah. I presume sports, academics, and also uh, stewardship. Yeah. And I didn't connect with you on it because it's not really, I guess I could say faith. I recently did a podcast post on faith, which describes how, how important it is for me, but it's not the same as yours. And so I didn't really connect on it because there's plenty of other stuff to connect on. Right. And then someone recently turned me on to, um, she told me about the British abolition movement in the late 1700s, early 1800s, which led me to discover uh, William Wilberforce, whose Mm -hmm. name I'd never heard before. And then someone who influenced him, John Newton, and then Mm -hmm. someone who worked with him, Thomas Clarkson. And then I saw Amazing Grace and I read uh, biographies by Adam Hochschild and by Eric Metaxas, who's been a guest now on the podcast. Right. And it's just opened up this whole approach that I hadn't really thought of. And I'm very curious about it because here's what really did it is when I read stuff about you in this area, the words that are used are words that I feel like are my approach to stewardship. It's like joy and faith, kindness, service, light, love. Right. And everyone else seems to approach stewardship as it's a burden. It's a chore. It's like this obligation we don't want to do, but we have to do. Right. And I feel like there's a connection to be had here. There's something for me to learn here. And so I wrote you and you're like, yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. And so I, oh, yeah. this is like my cards on the table, what brought me to you. And, and now I'm like, I, I'd love to hear your perspective and how it connects. And Yeah, for sure. I mean, my faith has been a part of my life. I mean, my family is Catholic. So we went to church every Sunday and, you know, I got to, I was praying to Jesus, but uh, really the, my relationship with Jesus and with God has just evolved over time, especially it, it took a really good turn for the better uh, earlier this decade when I was just like, you know, sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, I didn't, I was kind of had that like, faith, but I didn't have the, the fullness behind, you know what I mean? It was just kind of like I was going through the motions and then I just said, God, just like do what you want. Like I surrender to you and only you and just kind of, you know, he helped me with uh, some things I'd been struggling with. And then he helped me go, you know, go deeper into my, what my purpose in this world is. And I, I really think one of my kind of missions in life is to try to help the the planet as, as much as I can. So uh, it, it just all feeds into it all feeds into each other. So the closer I am with God, the more I'm praying, the more I'm raising my son and my praying with my wife as a, you know, a God centered family, the more I'm thinking about others, the more I'm thinking about the planet. And then that feeds into when I'm out in nature, when I'm, you know, experiencing the fruits of God's creation, that makes me that much more, you know, close to him and uh, thankful for, for everything he does for us. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's still a developing, like it's, it's an ongoing relationship and, we want, we think of ourselves, we Christians think of ourselves as living sacrifices, you know what I mean? Of kind of God do what you, 
just live through me and do what you want with me. And the bad thing about that is we can squiggle, we can wiggle off the table, wiggle off the sacrificial table. So we got to make sure every day we're recommitting ourselves to to Jesus and recommitting ourselves to the causes that, you know, he has put on our hearts. And like I said, for, for me, it's clearly uh, environment and the planet and care for God's creation is, is on my heart. And it, it has been for about 15 years now. So yeah, I, I really uh, encourage you to read and your listeners to read the case for Christ more than a carpenter, a couple of really good books. C.S. Lewis published a bunch of really good books from your Christianity uh, screw tape letters that are really, really good for kind of people who are curious about Jesus and curious about faith. Cause the more you delve into it and just look at the life, you know, the person who Jesus, who was Jesus Christ, who walked the earth about 2000 years ago. And you look at stories in the, the gospels and you look at historical records and you look at you know archaeology finds and it's just it's crazy how how truth how much truth there is it's almost more certain that jesus it's more certain that jesus walked the earth and uh, abraham lincoln was president given like historical records and all that stuff so it's it's crazy to look into do you mind sharing what happened 15 years i mean it sounds like it was always there part of your life and then i don't need don't go to details that aren't you know public or they're not comfortable sharing but what what was the change if you don't mind yeah. So, I, I mean, I always loved nature, always loved hiking, like gardening with my grandpa. Those are some really fun, fun memories. But I saw a documentary, An Inconvenient Truth. It wasn't necessarily a faith-based documentary. It was just, you know, Al Gore documentary, An Inconvenient Truth. And it, I remember watching it with my mom and being like, looking at her and saying like, what? This is real. Like, this is really happening. We're really going down this path. And ever since then, I could just, it was on my heart. Yeah, I could just feel it on my heart of like, I know I want to study this. I know I want to either go into it for my job or have my job coincide with some type of environmental protection or trying to preserve and help nature flourish. So it's been on my heart since, yeah, 2006, I think, is when the documentary came out and we watched it that year. And it's just been uh, quite, quite heavy on my heart or, I wouldn't say heavy on my heart, but it's been imprinted on my heart to have this be a mission in my life. I can't help but notice that when I think of people watching Inconvenient Truth, I think of people having a political response and being very polarized. Either people are like, I must follow his politics or I must hate his politics. Right. Very few people. It always seems like that's the response I always seem to get. I, I never thought of seeing that movie as something that would bring someone closer to Jesus. Right. But it seems natural. Like it's, I mean, from your perspective, it's like, of course, what else? Yeah. And that's, that's something I'm really grateful for is my, my parents and my upbringing having been introduced to Jesus a long time ago um, and just kind of had him been part of my life for, since I can remember Uh, it kind of gave me, kind of gave me one of those, like, I don't know what you'd call it, but uh, faith-based perspectives into things I watched and things I learned in school. So for instance, like at Harvard, when I would learn about, you know, molecular science and just go delve deeper into, you know, just what is going on on the cellular level, mm-hmm. like the, the intricacies of it. I, would, I went in it with like, Oh my goodness, this is not just happening by accident. Like this is intelligent design. These, these cells are performing in intelligent ways that like we almost can as, you know, on the macro level of how much they're doing. And I was like, so I went into all these science classes, just it almost, it just strengthened my faith and strengthened my belief that there is an intelligent creator who loves us and has designed basically our, you know, the perfect bodies for us, perfect minds for us to go out and do good for him. So I'm very grateful for that upbringing of just kind of having that perspective of like looking at these 
things we learn in science and things we learn engineering math and saying like wow tilt it towards the tilt it towards the like worship you know, worship for the creator so yeah it was it was almost it was striking to hear other students i was with in college and other you know people i've run into across my life like not have that response and i was just like what do you mean like they almost some of them went the other way where it was like oh that's there's no way this could like this is this had to be you know happen with via gravity and evolution over time and i'm like I agree, but like, there's no way this just happened. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. this is incredible design. Like, our, for instance, our immune system has like the storage capacity and processing capacity of like a supercomputer. And just to download every new virus and bacteria it, you know, it encounters and just to program that in and have it be in the system is just like, inc- like incredible design. So that was certainly, I remember thinking that in, in college and being like, wow, I'm grateful for having that you know, that kind of the faith-based upbringing so that I could have the strength of my faith rather than drown it. That feeling that you had of this wonder, is that what set you up that when you watched Inconvenient Truth that you were like, how can we pollute it? How can, like, how can we take this? It's like, it doesn't get any more beautiful than this. Right. And then I'm just thinking, I just, for me, like the story of Plastic is a more recent movie that I watched. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like the amount of, this, you know, in India, there's like mountains, mountains. Mm-hmm. Of, of trash right yeah. next to the farms where people grow their food. Right. And I think of what series of decisions led to that or not yeah. like what sleepwalking went, went into that and how can we not make this one of our top priorities? Yeah. I think there's a bunch of reasons for that. You can go to the frog in the boiling water analogy where mm-hmm. it's like the industrial revolution happened and all these, and then, you know, all these machines came on and made life that much easier and you, they didn't really think about the polluting effects. And then the plastic revolution came in kind of the mid 20th century. And everyone was like, Oh, we don't have to use the glass and reuse it and give the to melt. We can just throw this away. And that, like, I don't, I think it was kind of one of those things out of sight, out of mind for yeah. a lot of people. And it kind of just started slipping away until, you know, hopefully the last couple of years has kind of been, a, feel like there's been somewhat of an awakening process of like, wow, this is getting really uncontrollable. We gotta, we gotta get back on the right path. And, that kind of reminds me of another thing just as a Christian that is kind of tough to reconcile is the history on this continent of Christianity with the destruction of nature. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've read a lot of um, stories and accounts of native Americans who saw how Christians wanted them to live. You know, the Christians made them want to live with the farming and the taking out of trees and building houses that are big and all that. And I remember a quote, I forget what the was Treef said it, but he was like, if, that's how Christians want to treat others and want to treat this land. And then Christianity is not the, not the way for me. And that's just so heartbreaking to hear mm-hmm. that as Christians, you want to think of, you know, the body of Christ on here on earth, the Christian community has been light being caring for others, caring for the planet, uh, giving great examples. But unfortunately that just hasn't, hasn't been the case. In a lot of cases, it's been quite the opposite and you just, it's heartbreaking. It's probably heard a lot of people's journeys towards uh, towards God, but at the same time, you have to forgive those people and you have to forgive ourselves. And when you have to put in perspective, like we don't come to Christ because of people around us who are flawed, who are trying to follow him as well. Like everyone's flawed. Mm-hmm. You're trying to set like Christ is the standard. He's the savior. He's the example that we all want to follow. No one will quite get there, but the closer we can get to living like him and being like him and having him live through us, the better off we'll all be. So yeah, in, in terms of 
you know, to the history on this continent of Christianity with nature, it's, it's a sad one, unfortunately, overall, but um, hopefully we can turn it around and start a really big, uh, you know, revolution or uh, a green, a green revolution. Yeah. You reminded me that going back to the, when I said, how could we let this happen? I have to remember that one of the starting points of plastic was to replace ivory in billiard balls. I don't know if you know this. Mm. And I would certainly choose plastic for billiard balls over killing an elephant for its tusk and then right. making billiard balls out of that. And likewise, cars replaced horses, horse manure choking our cities. That seemed like that made a lot of sense. Right. And, and yet, somewhere along the way, it's really like a, a nonstop, it requires nonstop discipline at, at all the time. Yeah, it really does. And I mean, another thing I think about too is just the system with which our society lives. You know, I mean, there's, there's uncontacted tribes out there who just live off the land and are completely sustainable. But the way our society lives and lots of other societies in the world, it's kind of just a take, take, take mentality. There's not much of a cycle to it. It's kind of like linear grow mm-hmm. or slash harvest, you know, reap and then out. So it's, it's more of a line rather than a circle. And uh, trying to get back into you know whatever patterns we can of cyclical getting back in the the rhythm of nature would be very beneficial. That's why I'm a huge proponent of composting, as I know you are, and yeah. other other processes that are just like no brainers for trying to get back into the cyclical process in nature, as opposed to you know the linear in out. And a lot of it, I mean, a lot of it has to do goes all the way back to the agricultural revolution. Yeah. you know where we. We started instead of saying, oh, let's just take off the land. It was like, oh, well, I really like these kind of fruits. I think we can just plant them, a lot of them. And then we started getting this system of society where it was food under lock and key. No, I grew this, like payment and then money happened. And then you got this capitalist society that can be a good thing, but it has to be regulated. You know, it has to be, you can't have all the resources be depleted in an area just because you're a big free market capitalist. Like that, the tragedy of the commons happens all the time in our world. You look at fisheries, you look at exhausted soil and land. It's just like we need to have a balance of capitalism or market or helping people achieve their dreams and helping people have livelihoods with sustainability and having kind of a trajectory towards the future and having our kids have a planet to live on. Yeah, you've thought about, I wish we'd gotten into this earlier. I mean, not that our conversations were empty before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the this, this systemic approach, these these problems with, I mean, capitalism has from the start, Adam Smith recognized there are problems with overproduction. There's problems mm-hmm. with the tragedy of the commons. There's a tendency toward monopoly. And yeah. curbing these things has not been, it seems to me, no-brainers. There was something else that you said earlier that the word stewardship came to me from my time at West Point. When, my time, I was only there for a little while. But the people I spoke to there, they used that term a lot. And they would use it in terms of faith. It was like, it seemed to me that it came from their interpretation of you shall have dominion over all the earth. Right. And that at one point, dominion probably meant lordship, you know, do what you want. Domination, and think, yeah. And I think people now interpret it, as I understand, at least the people I've spoken to, it's stewardship in the sense of this is a gift. If you take more than your share, you're taking a gift that wasn't meant for just you. Mm-hmm. And that gift was for someone else too. Right. And it makes me think of other things and their interpretation. Like be fruitful and multiply implies a lot of growth. Mm -hmm. But to me, being fruitful, I I now think of being fruitful as as living a sweet life. And multiplying, I think of as multiplying happiness. And this this seems to me, this is me looking from the outside. I mean, but I try to figure out what at a certain time meant 
was supposed to mean something, it's to be interpreted only one way, or it's so broad that it can be interpreted for the times you live in. Right. But I, I don't really do a lot of biblical interpretation. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. There's There's been wars fought or a bunch of tragedy both ways for people misinterpreting or like interpreting the same verse of the Bible different ways. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the same, some of the same Bible verses that abolitionists were using to end slavery were the ones that slave masters were using to keep their, you know, try to keep their Christianity about them as they were enslaving people. So it is, I mean, Bible you know, uh, interpretation is a big subject, really hard to really nail down, but I, I love your view of it in that, the being fruitful and multiplying doesn't just mean, or maybe it doesn't necessarily even mean having a lot of kids and having their kids have kids and kids, but it could also mean for, especially for those who are celibate of just being, being light and multiplying that light, multiplying mm-hmm. the, the fruits of, of Jesus uh, in our lives. So, and on, and on earth. So yeah, I, I love that interpretation and that, that Genesis verse you mentioned about having dominion over the world. And I, too often we, use that word and think of that word as domination, but it's, it's really an entrustment. You know what I mean? It's God entrusting this wonderful planet, this wonderful gift he's given to us with plenty of resources. If we use resources equitably and responsibly, plenty of resources for even all of humanity right now. But the the fact is we're abusing it. We're hoarding it. And we have lots of people who are, like you said, over, overusing, overtaking the gift that was meant for others too. So we, we got a ways to go and to get back into balance for that. But another point I was thinking of too, was you look at how, you know, back to the native Americans and indigenous people in general, like look how they live and use resources. Like they live the Christian lifestyle. Like that is what Jesus was talking about when he said, don't have your, you know, hoard your wealth or don't have your treasures be laid up where moth and rust destroy, but have your treasures laid up in heaven. Like those those tribes care they're for the tribe, you know, all for one, one for all they're for the tribe. And I think we have aspects of that in our society. You know, a lot of our like social security tries to get at that where we're taking care of people from crib to the grave. Uh, we're doing that with, you know, sometimes with our Medicare system, a lot of these policies are socialistic. So people get crazy, crazy hurt or crazy polarized either way. But, there's a sense of trying to get into that care for everybody. You know, uh, you, we're all worthy. We're all, uh, to quote the constitution, we're all endowed by our creator with inalienable rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. We're all entitled to some type of chance at happiness and life. So it's one of those things that I, you know, you look at our world or how we're living compared to how indigenous people lived and live to this day. And it, you're almost like, Jesus would probably rather us be like them rather than how we're living and it'll take time. But I, I really hope we can get back into balance of kind of living, living a lifestyle and living a, in a society that Jesus would be uh, happier to happier to see his followers living. Before reading Wilberforce and Bonhoeffer and talking to Meta- Eric Metaxas and talking to you, I have to say my, my impression was that it seemed there's a correlation between evangelicals in this country and people not behaving in stewardship. And now talking to you guys, now the association is much greater what, and, and no one gets this. About, I, I like try to tell people it's about, this is about joy. This is about mm-hmm. beauty of nature. And everyone's yep. like, why are you so judgmental? And I, I'm like, I'm sure that I, I got to see myself from some other perspective to get what they're talking about, but it's not where I'm coming from. And yeah. I think they feel guilty. And I bring up something that brings up the feeling, but I didn't yeah. make that feeling, but I don't know if that's the case. 
and so now I'm, I'm curious to, I mean, you listed a bunch of books and I'm, I have to say, I've never read how much of the Bible have I read? I've read a fair amount, but not really. I mean, I haven't like really gone through it. And it, right. partly it's because it's like, it's kind of complicated to read, but then yeah. I see that there's like many, many translations and I'm sure some of them are a lot easier. Yeah. And then of the books you mentioned or the Bible, I presume you'd say read that one first, but I'm not sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I'm, I mean, especially New Testament gospels. If you can get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's, that's the bread and butter. That's, that's the heart of Christianity really. And, and the New Testament, the you know letters, actually the apostles and the letters afterwards and revelation are, but certainly the old Testament gives like a context for Jesus is coming and gives, you know, prophecies and gives history of what, what had happened in those times. But if you're going to pick out some books to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible, for sure. Any favorite translation? ESV English standard version. It's uh easiest, like you said, easiest to read um, clear and it's not misinterpreted or anything. It's just, it's just the easiest to read for us in our day and age ESV. Okay. So the correlation that I described a minute ago, I think you were nodding as I said it, that like that correlation does seem to be there. Yeah. How come? What do you, does that make sense to you? I know it's, it's another, it's another heartbreaking thing uh, I've noticed, especially in this country is that, you know, a lot of Christians are, have environmental priority way down on the list. You know what I mean? Or just like care for God's creation. It seems is like kind of an afterthought. It's, it's almost like God will provide, God will take care of it. And while I, I appreciate that sentiment and like, and I, I really hope and believe so like at the same time, this is his creation. Like what we do to his gift, like it matters. Like what we, what we do, how we treat others, how we treat our, our land, how we treat, you know, this whole, this whole gift he's given us matters. And it's, it's one of those things I've, I've tried wrestling with and debating people and all this. And it just, there's, there seems to be like almost an over, like a, I don't want to say, overconfidence but just like a like it's it's just it's in god's hands there's no way we're affecting the planet because god's creation is so large and so so bountiful and and i want i like part of me wants to agree like yeah i hope you're right like you know this we don't have to worry that bad but and then i see the science i see the reports i'm just like like this is oh man this is really not good you know i mean we're not on a good path at all so uh, i think maybe a little bit of overconfidence in, in just thinking everything's going to be okay. I've also heard people saying it's, it's fine if we trash the environment because it'll hasten Jesus' second coming or like it'll prompt that to be quicker. And I mean, that, that logic, I, it's, I still feel like calling yourself a Christian, you have to treat others and treat the world like this gift, like Jesus would want you to treat it. You know, it doesn't give you an excuse to just trash places and, pollute rivers and pollute people's foods just because it'll hasten the second coming. Like you're going to have to, we're all going to stand before, I believe we're all going to stand before God and Jesus after we're dead. And we're going to have to answer for things we did, or like we're going to have to kind of go through a life review um, and just kind of some of the moments will be great and joyous and some might be painful. And if we just don't care about the system or care about others, I think there's going to be some pain in that life review, but it's very interesting. And I notice. On the flip side, too, uh, a lot of environmentalists and a lot of environmental groups I have been in contact with aren't necessarily faith-based, or it's not like really a faith th- thing. It's just care for humanity for them, and so it's it's Christ likeness, you know. I mean, caring about others, caring about the future of humanity without really believing in Christ, which is always is 
it's crazy. It's awesome. You know, I mean, it's awesome that people care about others without having, you know, without reading or really being in the word of God. But at the same time, I'd love for the environmental movement to have more Jesus in it. You know what I mean? Have more God and more care for creation in it. Um, I think that would take it to a whole new, whole new level. And I think it would bring a lot more people in. So that I, I really look at that as part of my mission too, is I want to be kind of trying to bring Jesus into environmental movements or trying to have, you know, a faith-based approach to some of, some of the stuff I'm involved with. So still, still working, still on the path of it, exactly where I, this fits in or how I'm, I'm going to fit it in, but it's certainly on my heart to, to bring Jesus into the, the green movement. Yeah. So now I'm coming from a not Jesus place. I, sorry if that, that's, uh, no, yeah. <laughs> how does that look from your perspective? Is that welcome? Is that unwelcome or is it, how does it look? So honestly, I, it's, it's welcome in terms of like, I want people to care about the environment. I want keep, you care about other people more than a lot of Christians. I know, you know what I mean? Just because of how, how you live your life, how you interact with the system around you and, you know, what, what you do on a daily basis, it shows a lot of care for the planet, for others, uh, for the whole system in general. So I welcome anybody who cares about the environment. And I look at it as of like maybe working in, in the conversation, or maybe I, the way I go about things or have the piece of, or something about it might get the plant, a seed in their heart. And then they start exploring like that. I'm not going to convert anybody with just, you know, talking about Jesus, or I'm not going to, sperm on but if i can just plant seeds to people of saying like hey that this you should check out jesus or you should you know read the bible and then you know or read this book and just let me know what you think and then you can hopefully god can work in their hearts and uh, maybe a relationship with jesus can flow out of that but i certainly know that i i can't change anybody's hearts myself i all i can do is try to be christ-like in my actions and attitude which I still fail at all the time, but I try to be better and better. But, and then maybe from that, just seeds are planted, you know, people's, people's hearts, maybe just open just a little bit to like, yeah, maybe, maybe this is legit. You know, maybe, maybe I should take a look. So that's kind of how I go about it as a Christian is love all people, believer, and unbeliever, white, Asian, indigenous, black, you know, love all people uh, and put love on them. And the big thing is sharing the love and then showing the love, sharing the message is, is kind of how, how to evangelize or how to spread, spread Jesus. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small, it doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Yeah, another experience I had that has been somewhat formative for me was uh, I don't know, a year or so ago, there were these climate marches in New York. Listeners have probably heard me say this before. I forget how many times I've said it, but I went... And it happened that that day, okay, the, the Greta Thunberg was in town and there were climate marches downtown. And that day I happened to have a meeting at NYU Stern, the business school. So I was wearing my business college shirt, blazer. I didn't look like, I don't know what to call it, like the institutional environmental movement. Right, right. I didn't look like I fit in. I believe, 
and I, I didn't ask people there what their, like if they went on the website and like put in their lifestyle, what their emissions would be. I didn't ask anyone, but mine are pretty mm-hmm. low. Mine are like 10% the average Americans. So I'm guessing there were like 10,000 people there, some, maybe mm-hmm. more. And I would guess I was probably lower than 90% of them, something like that. But right. I didn't feel welcome. I felt like I can't put my finger on it. I, I didn't record it or really think about it to like say exactly what it was. But I felt like people were looking at me like, What's, who's this guy? Yeah. When I would think that a business person would be exactly who you'd want to make feel welcome because business has such a lever over emissions and pollution and things like that. Right. And a lot of times when I talk to environmentalists, you know, that challenge that I walk people through or when I ask them to share their values and act on it, there's a fair number of them that say, look, I'm already doing a lot. And they look at it like a burden. And I feel like they don't want, there's not this joy. <laughs> you know, right. when, when, you, when you talk about it, it's like you get to do it, not I have to do it. Right. And the more work it is, the more I get out of it. Right. And so I, I have this secret, what would you call it? Desire, secret wish of connecting with a whole lot of people that are traditionally thought of as not really connecting on the environment. Evangelicals being one of them. And I have the secret, like, I don't know what you call it, like a, that the left gets really mad at me. And they're like, why'd you do that? Why'd you take our issue from us hmm. by helping all these other people with, you know, become very environmental? I'd be like, you had the chance. You could have done it yourselves, but you didn't. And because right, right. I really think it, what you say, I don't really know a whole lot about Christianity. I don't know that little either, but I know something, I, something, but right, not right. as much as you. But the way you talk about it, it seems like resonates with how I would expect it would work, that, that there's this gift. It's, it's a beautiful gift. It wasn't meant just mm-hmm. for you. And if you use it up, that's not what it was for. And there's, an, there's something to honor here. Mm-hmm. And there's something to, there's glory. Right. And it comes through our doing things. And I feel like that message somehow is somehow not, I, if I look historically, I get why, but I don't see why that wouldn't like sweep across the country as like, this is, this is our time. Yeah. This is what we're here for. And I want to help make that happen. Right. And so there are plenty of different people with different beliefs that have worked together in the past. And it seems like that can work again today. Yeah. That's the, that's the hope. I've never in my lifetime, I've never seen the country so divided on a bunch of issues, you know, politically divided and, Climate change is, seems to be still one of them where people are just, you know, on one side or the other, which is unfortunate. But yeah, if we can, if we can find like that message that unifies everybody and saying, Hey, listen, like we're running out of time, like this planet, we are literally leaving an era of the earth, you know, going from the Halocene area era to the basically man-made, I forget what it's called now. But yeah. Yeah. We're like leaving an era and we, we can have a, a chance to go back or like we have a chance to veer off the highway into doom. You know what I mean? We got a chance to do something special here and people hundreds of years from now are going to look back on this time and be like, thank you. Or they're going to be like, Oh, you know what I mean? Why? So, and I really, like you said, I I really want to find that. And we got to find that message that unifies the whole country and saying, you know what, this is, this is worth fighting for. This is worth unifying with people. I was cussing out two months ago or screaming out a year ago or hating uh, to put that all the bitterness beside and come together on something really important. So, but yeah, I, I'm hopeful, but it's, I gotta be honest, the division of this country is so, you know, it's, it's poisonous. Like it's, it's hard to, hard to wrap my head around how people could hate the other side so much. And just like, it's unfortunate. And I, I gotta, I gotta admit, I was climate wise, especially I'm, was happy with you know seeing Joe Biden get elected because that's uh, we got we got a shot now he's gonna you know we got a shot so 
but uh, still just the division in the country is so, oh man, it's just so sad to watch and I hope we can move past it. In that regard, people will say that I'm, what's the word, Pollyannish or like, this is where my faith is, is that this is an opportunity. And they're mm-hmm. like, Josh, what one person does doesn't matter. I'm like, tell that to Wilberforce. Right. Now that I have these role models. Yeah. I guess you would say Jesus would be a pretty big role model there. He's pretty influential For over sure. time. Number one. Numero and enough. people who are like, we need more babies. We need more babies. I'm like, How, what was the population of the earth 2,000 years ago? It was a couple hundred thousand people, a couple hundred million people. Right. Seemed to produce some pretty smart people. Yeah. And, and influential as well. And right. All right, I can't change the past. I can't change something like 10 million people died last year from just from air pollution. You know, forget about climate refugees, forget about wars over resources. And that's only going to increase. And yeah. you know, I, I, I wrote some letter to in a journal and I sent it to a friend, and he said, I, in it, I said this could be our finest hour. And he said, Josh, people are dying. This is not a fine hour. But fine hours, I learned that phrase from the movie Apollo 13. When the mm-hmm. one guy said this could be NASA's greatest, dis- the greatest disaster in NASA's history, and someone says, "I believe it can be," with all due respect, sir, I believe it can be our fine. It will be our finest hour. Mm-hmm. Finest hour always describes. It doesn't describe. This could be a fine hour. You wake up on a beautiful day. You look out at the sunrise. You grab a piece of fruit off the tree and eat it. That could be a fine hour. But no one. That's not what our finest hour describes. Our finest hour describes when you pull out of a disaster. Right. And there's a Churchill message that has to come out. I believe. It's going to get bad. It's bad. It's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. We're going to, you know, the last things you want to have happen are going to happen. There's nothing yeah. we can do. That, that, was, that die was cast before. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean we have to go full throttle into the iceberg. Right. We can try to pull back. We can try to steer. Yeah. And even if things go bad, there's levels of disaster. Mm-hmm. And we can stave things off. I saw a projection that there could be 2 billion climate refugees by 2100. Or maybe we put some effort in, let's say there's 1 billion. Sounds pretty bad, but that's still a billion people not made into climate refugees. That's a lot. And what we do today can make that difference. Right. And, or we could have maybe a mere half a billion or maybe less. Mm -hmm. And to be a part of that is to be a part of something wonderful. Yeah. Of course, I don't want to live in a situation like we're in. I would rather I could snap my fingers and change that. I'd rather we didn't get in this mess. But I can't change the past. But I can do something now. Mm -hmm. And the message that it it starts with only governments can make a difference on the scale we need, or only corporations can make a difference on the scale we need. But it ends with these words are profound. And no one recognizes it when they say it. What I do doesn't matter. That is a deeply profound statement. Mm-hmm. And I don't hear it coming from you at all. No. I hear from you, I hear like what I do matters. It's like the most important thing of what I, what I do. Right. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's what I'm hearing. No, yeah, it's very important. I mean, like, you, like we talked about a couple months ago, is like every input in the system, everything we do affects someone else or something else down the line. So, you know, the less we can have a negative impact on people. It's just better. And then you can really have an impact if you keep doing, just stay dedicated to it and find a way to build a movement or find a way to, like you were talking about William Wilberforce, like one man arguably started one of the most important movements on this continent. You know what I mean? Abolition of enslaved people. Like he, he doesn't walk. If he does, he's, he's not there when 
maybe someone else steps up in that time and does what he did, but very important impact. Very, very important. And also there's just, there's honor and trying, there's honor in acknowledging a problem, hard truths and trying to make it better. Like there's Jesus honors that, you know, God honors the trying, maybe not every movement you set up goes crazy or not, not every thing you thing you did ends up as you expected, but you're trying, you're learning and you're, you're on a path where you're trying to help others and you're trying to help God's creation flourish. And you're trying, you know, I mean, and, and like uh, Thomas Edison said, like it wasn't a million failures. It was a million tries and learn from it, you know, a million learned, learned lessons. So there's, you have like, there's just honor in, in trying to make things better and just ignoring the problem or shift in the science or shooting out misinformation. There's, there's not honor in that. You know what I mean? I, I hate to say it, but there's no, there's no honor in that. That's, it's almost dishonorable. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not how people, you want people to view you. It's not how you want to have yourself viewed. And when it's all said and done, like you learn a hard truth, you don't deny it and you wish you could change it. Yeah, sure. We're all human. We should, we, like you said, we wish we could snap our fingers and we're back to, square one of which is a beautiful planet, but we're not. And this is the, this is the challenge of our lifetimes and uh, what we do about it matters. Yeah. And a crazy thing that I don't think people get is that if, if I could snap my fingers, say we could snap our fingers and change everything back to pre-industrial levels. If we didn't change our beliefs, the, the beliefs driving our culture, we'd be right back here oh, yeah. probably pretty quickly. Yeah. No question. It's so to look for technical solutions for social cultural problems, I think is not, technology tends to amplify what we want to do. And if we don't want to change, if we don't change what we want. Right. There are technological problems we all hope happen that could help things, you know, make a major source of energy that's sustainable and, re- you know, renewable that can power the grid as it is right now. Be great. But then we just want more. If that technology could supplement more, I'm going to, that's one thing. If we could find a way to, you know, maybe send drone technology into forest to harvest some plants rather than chopping down trees and using the remaining forest we have left as soil for a couple of years before it gets exhausted, you know, instead using drone technology that could help. But like you said, a lot of times technology just exacerbates problems. You look at social media, like it's really cool, unbelievable. You can speak to thousands of people, some cases, millions of people with just the touch of a button, but at the same time, it's kind of, it seems like it's amplified extremism exemplified, you know, polarization and people really just not liking each other. So, uh, there's drawbacks to technology for sure. But yeah, on a whole nother subject, I I just think about what this land, like what our planet used to be like before, you know, we've gotten into this mess because like every generation had saw decline in nature really since colonization here on this continent. Like even what we see that's still beautiful today, like what it was when our grandparents, 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 we're here or when the and then Native Americans were walking those lands. Uh, it's just sad but crazy to think about just how beautiful this gift is that God gave us. And there's still areas of the world that untouched or you know, it's unbelievable to see the see the documentaries and all that stuff and even go to some of those places that I don't know if I've been to any place that's really untouched like that. But uh, have you been in your life to like untouched forest areas? Not really. I mean, you know, like Yosemite, but that's, that's not untouched. That's like, yeah, it's beautiful, but it's, it's like, um, what's the word crafted or, um, yeah, more artificial. Yeah. One of the things that gets me is that when, when humans were 
populating the planet, I would expect they would go to the places that are most fertile and abundant. Right. And that's where they would set up, set up their communities. And presumably that means that our, the biggest cities, the most paved over places are the places that were once the most lush and verdant. Yeah. So if I think of, I mean, I live in Manhattan and when I look at the paintings of what, not painted back then, but like projected back when, mm-hmm. I think you could walk from the tip of the island to the tip of the island, never get rained on because there's so many trees. Yeah. But then I really think of something like um, Bali, which is now you see the pictures of the people surfing and they're just like surfing through garbage mm. or the Bangkok must've been unbelievable. Yeah. And now it's all paved over. Yeah. I know it's, it's sad to think about, but it, it also reminds you like, this is a fight and it's, but it's worth fighting for, you know what I mean? It's worth, yeah. Like you said, veering the Titan or veering the ship away from the iceberg and worth trying to save. If someone had told me a few months ago, Hey Josh, when you talk to environment, people who describe themselves as environmentalists, you're going to disagree on some things that like make, that just makes total sense to you. And then you're going to talk to a guy who's talking about Jesus a lot. And it's going to make you guys are, it's like all going to fit together. I would have been skeptical. <laughs> I'm curious, what kind of community are you, do you, is there like, are there a lot of people that you talk to that are, are you part of a community that looks at things the way that you do? Both of these things. Yeah. We belong to a Catholic church right up the road here that I, I will say, you know, Catholic, the Catholic church has had some tough times. It's had flaws for sure. But um, on the climate issue, especially with Pope Francis, you know, and his Laudato Si, which is basically called all Catholics to start putting, you know, your care for God's creation in overdrive, uh, more or less. There are people who, and, you know, everyone follows the Pope's lead, it seems here in the Catholic church. So the, uh, you know, that lead has been something that's really been welcomed by a lot of environmentalists I know too, but, um, and our church community does some things, but it uh, could do more for sure. And when we have baseball chapel, like during the season where there's no real church to go to, uh, cause we're always on the road or at home going to games, uh, baseball chapel, will we'll talk about environmentalism or care for God's planet. And we'll have some good discussions like that for sure. But it'd probably be more and more as the years go by here. But yeah, those are basically our church communities are, Catholic church here. We go to, you know, a non-denominational church called Crossroads right up the road sometimes too. And then baseball chapel community. So could be more discussion about it for sure. I think I, we talked about a decent amount when we went on a Christian retreat uh, last year, like a baseball players and wives Christian retreat down in Florida. We uh, had some good discussions about taking care of God's creation. I think, I think I might've planted some seeds in people's hearts that otherwise weren't really thinking about climate and how, you know, what we do with God's creation is a really important part of Christianity. So I think, I think that was cool, but just in general, not a, there's not like a group or a small group I'm a part of that's like Christian environmentalists or anything like that. So it sounds like you're, you're a lead, becoming a leader in that area. Uh, I'd like to think so, but I mean, I can, I can always do, do more and do better, but I would definitely love to, Oh, that's, I would love to get something like that going or movement like that going where it's, maybe Christian athletes for the planet, or I mean, I'm a member of uh, eco athletes and players for the planet, some groups, but it's not tied to faith. It's just more sports with environment, making sports and environmentalism, but not sports, Christianity and environmentalism. So yes, the more I'm talking, I would really love to be a member of something like that. Let me know if I can help. I mean, I'm an outsider in many different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Except for the goals. No, no, I would love to. Yeah. If you've run into somebody who's, Christian who cares about the environment a lot and is wanting to start a movement or start a group or something. Yeah. Let me know for sure. Okay. 
why don't we wrap up there? I, and I feel like we'll probably talk again. Yeah. I, yeah. I certainly hope so. Yeah. Uh, and so we didn't talk about baseball much this time, but did you notice the P, the postscript on that email? Did you check it out? Uh, oh, no, you didn't I notice didn't. it? No. My challenge was to see if you could see how I, what, what edit I made to your Wikipedia page. Oh yeah. I saw, I, I read it and I didn't see the edit. I didn't see the edit. So I, I guess you're up for the Roberto Clemente award. Oh, okay. Sounds like really big. So when yeah. I read that, I was like, I was, I was like, I bet I could put that on his Wikipedia page. Okay. <laughs> so I put I, that I didn't on. know that was you. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't see that. I didn't know that was, uh, I didn't know that was you. So cool. Appreciate that. How did that feel? And what is, when is, when is that going to award it? I feel like it's around now, but it's a fun year. It was actually supposed to be during the World Series. For some reason, this is the first year it hasn't been announced during the World Series. So I don't know what's going on, but yeah, your guess is as good as mine for when it'll be announced. But uh, man, it felt it's, it was an honor, honor of a lifetime, really. That's, that's a big award, big, awesome humanitarian and Roberto Clemente that to be even in the same sentence with him is unbelievable. But yeah, maybe, uh, maybe choked up and, it's really special. Yeah, that was that meant a lot. Well, congratulations on it. And nice. I suspect that you will use it as, here's how I put it. If I go run to catch a bus and I get on the bus, I'm like, oh, that's cool. I caught the bus. If I run and finish a marathon, it doesn't feel like an achievement. It, 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 for a moment, it feels like an achievement. And then it feels like that's the start of the next stage. Yeah. Now I'm someone who's run a marathon. Yeah, yeah. And I suspect that even just the nomination is, well, what you're talking about, of, I can't help but think that within a couple of years, your influence is going to keep growing. Yeah, I hope so. Or I just, it's not necessarily in my hands, but um, I hope to keep playing baseball and using that platform to help maybe unite some people and start some other movements and whatnot would be awesome. But it's all, it all depends on stuff I can't control right now. But all I know is I'm going to try to get as, as good as I can at baseball and at caring for the planet and at being a Christian as often as I can and go from there. But man, I, I tell you what that it means means a lot, but like you said, like it's not like you stop. You know, you get a really special award like that or a special nomination. It's it's not like oh, I've reached the pinnacle, I'm done. You know what I mean? Like it's it's motivation or it's you know, kind of a slap in the butt to keep going, keep keep trying to be like Jesus every day. So, but it's I'm I'm telling you, I'm far from perfect. I don't feel worthy of that nomination. I really don't. But it's it's special, and I, I'm really grateful for it. Uh, what's yours? What's your word against theirs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I don't know when it's going to be announced. It's been it's been kind of weird, honestly. But I hope uh, my teammate gets announced as Rookie of the Year tonight. I think the mm-hmm. announcement's in like an hour and a half. So Devin Williams for Rookie of the Year would be awesome. He just had a special special season. I don't know. Did you follow us at all this year? A little bit, mostly when I saw that you weren't going to get to play the Mets, I was like, ah, damn it, I'm not going to yeah. see him in person. All right, right, right. I did look yeah. to see if you're going to play maybe Pittsburgh or, um, yeah. but even that's a little too far away. Yeah, no, we, uh, I mean, we had an uh, underwhelming year overall. Like we definitely could have been better, but we still made it to the playoffs, lost to a good team. Unfortunately, I pitched like poo poo in the playoffs. And it was terrible, but I did everything right to lead up. And it just, it was one of those days I just couldn't couldn't figure it out so but we ended up winning the world series so i don't know if it makes us feel better or anything because we've lost to the you could be number two yeah yeah, i mean we've lost to the future world champions the last two years in the wild card round (laughs) so it's Mm -hmm. been like kind of feel good about it but you know kind of like we i mean we competed we gave both teams like we were in position to win the game last year against the nationals and then 
competed against the Dodgers uh, this year, but we just got to get, we got to get a little bit better. And I think we, we can get over that hump, but we, uh, I think we, we have some pieces that are really special moving forward. So excited about next year. Well, I look forward to following it. There was something that I did notice. I'm going to talk about when I played ultimate in, in college, maybe after college to start the point off, you, you run up and throw the disc to the other team. It's kind of like a kickoff. Mm-hmm. And so you run in order to get as much energy into the disc as you can. And I was doing that and my, my cleat must've caught a, uh, a clump of dirt and I like fell flat on my face, like holding this, like everyone's watching you know, me <laughs> and I fall down on my face and I was like, but yeah. I didn't get a tweet from Simone Biles afterwards. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. I mean, that was, uh, that was one of those moments. Like there were some ups and downs for me personally this year, for sure. But that was actually one of those, like, it could have been a really embarrassing down, but it actually ended up being one of like the highlights of the year, which is really weird. Because uh, <laughs> uh, everyone, you know, it was a funny moment, kind of rare moment of just levity in the baseball field. And then, uh, yeah, and the Simone Biles tweeting it and all that stuff. It was cool. So, and uh, yeah, she's she's one, she's awesome. She's one of the best gymnasts ever. So I felt honored to be yeah. kind of retweeted and liked by her and all that. So that was cool. Well, great catching up with you. I really appreciate your sharing. I look forward to next time. Yeah. Thanks. You too. Yeah. It's, it's really just refreshing. And how do I put it? It's, it's so great to feel, you know, to speak the same language. Yeah. After everyone, why are you so extreme, Josh? Just like get some takeout. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, you're better man than me. We've been, we've been doing, I've, so I've been getting the farmer's market uh-huh. produce every week, which has been awesome, but uh, we still, order takeout too much uh just because we kind of run into like we'll put liam to bed and then we're like just zoned out at nap time kind of recovering uh-huh. from liam because he's very high energy kid he's awesome but he's high energy and then we like oh, crap what are we going to do for dinner so i need to get i need to get on your program <laughs> again and get stuff done early in the day so i can get these soups going <laughs> well they're good i'll hopefully swing by ohio sometime soon and uh bring my pressure cooker <laughs> come on over come on over oh we got a okay. pressure cooker we you just, it needs to, we have the produce and we have the pressure cooker. I just need to do it. <laughs> oh, we could set up, we'll do a, uh, if you want, we could do a, um, uh, what do you call it? You know, put, put these on and uh, like cook together. It's. Oh yeah. I've done that and it's kind of fun. Yeah. Anyway, let's get, uh, not get too cozy. Uh, cause the listeners are like, all right, talk about the environment stuff. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it kind of is, it kind of relates, but yeah. yeah. I guess at some point it'll be like, how did that friendship start? And they're like, oh, yeah, they were like cooking dinner over Zoom together, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> All right, I'm going to wrap right. up there. And thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. God bless. This was one of my most refreshing conversations. Will I read the New Testament? I don't see how I can avoid it. I've only read short passages of it in college before. But seeing as I want to connect with evangelicals as well as political conservatives, who I believe in the U.S. overlap strongly with evangelicals, I wondered how they would view me. I've been thinking to quote scripture to them, Matthew 7, 16, by their fruit, you will recognize them and ask them to look at my behavior. If you consider yourself religious or religion motivates you to act in stewardship, and I sound like I'm missing something more than Brent and I covered, contact me. I'd love to learn more. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. 
please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.